Hi, everyone. I'm very, very happy to be here and introduce my ultimate. I was thinking, how do I call you? Because I was like, you're definitely my boss girl crush. Maybe that sounds weird, but like, I really think so. So Jalinka Michou, is that okay? Is that right? Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So um, senior communications manager at FIBA, right? Um, Ex-basketball player and uh, yeah, Swiss national team member, right? Quite a long time ago now, but yes. I mean, the, I think that's a big title. It's a big title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can say that. I think, well, yeah. Oh, Retrospectively, sure. you can say it's an achievement. Yeah. <laughs> Passion for basketball here is obviously the most important um, thing connecting me, you, and this podcast, right? Um, and I'm very happy, and I feel lucky that I met you because um, I saw your work, and I. Honestly, I really I've admired your like um, your diligence, your work ethic, and how you can actually um, have that friendship and fun times at the same time as you're being very professional. Which I think it's like it's incredible for me. Like to it was it was very interesting to to witness. So um, yeah, prompts to you. Like <laughs> I'm like fangirling right there. <laughs> No, but uh, so talk to me. How did you get from the basketball court um, to the court side at uh, FIBA events? Um, where to start? Um, no, first of all, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I, I follow you and uh, I'm really happy to be part of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you're right. Passion, it's you know, uh, it's important. It what drives us. Um, and I think in particular for my transition from the court to professional life, you know, um, um, in a very, let's say, difficult environment because it's uh, mainly, you know, male dominant and uh, very competitive, even outside the court. Um, it was really important to have this factor in uh, because passion is really what makes you go the extra mile, right? What makes you do a little bit of, um, you know, the, the extra hours and putting in um, the additional effort to get that, you know, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist in a lot of things. I think, I think you know by now. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I think that clearly helped and kind of uh, pushed me in the right direction. And then, I mean, I have to be honest, uh, getting into the position I am now, it was it was not easy. It was a lot of waiting and a lot of patience because, um, you know, it's it's not it's not a super uh, welcoming environment for certain people. You have to prove yourself a lot. But um, but yeah, I think I always have the element of fun with the passion um, that kind of makes me go through difficult situations with a little bit of a smile maybe and i think that's what probably helps in you know this uh work but in a nice environment with cool people um i think it's important you you pass like you you spend so much time away from home at events if you don't have a good time with the people around you and you're just like always in a bad mood or like thinking too much um you kind of ruin your experience and that's not the purpose for me. So, yeah, I'm going a little bit in every direction, but I think you asked the right no, no, question. Don't, 
don't worry. Um, I mean, I, I really got to FIBA a little bit randomly after, um, not even after, but during uh, my basketball career because I was still playing when, uh, when I started working there. But the truth is that in Switzerland with uh, women's basketball players' salary, I wasn't living a glamorous lifestyle. <laughs> so I did need a little bit of extra after I finished um, university and my master's degree. So um, I kind of just send out these random CVs um, like to um, all these big organizations. And, you know, in, in Switzerland, we have the... That, let's say the 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 luck of having all these international federations and you know UEFA, FIFA, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, around the corner. So, so all where sports that yeah. direction was sports, yeah, yeah. Even though at the beginning it wasn't really gonna be my my direction, I decided to to try, and um, I had already a little experience at UEFA, so that clearly helped. But um, when I sent my CV to FIBA and then they got back to me, I was like, oh, my God, this is actually quite cool. So I went for one interview and it ended up being um, the current director of communications is actually also an ex-basketball player from the Swiss national team. So there was a connection there. Um, and, uh, you know, all the other colleagues were really um in kind of like curious of the idea that they could finally have a, a woman in the team too i think because it wasn't the case back then wow um, and somebody that actually knew basketball and was passionate about it so um yeah we just hit it off and from that moment i had this interview i started working as an intern actually and um and after a couple of months they just said don't you just want to stay for a like a real job and uh and i haven't left since and it's been what it's gonna be 11 years so yeah i've seen some things <laughs> well we'll get to that hopefully <laughs> um i wanted to ask you uh, because there was when i sent out my instagram uh to ask questions because i get asked a lot by you know young lithuanian girls mostly uh how did you get into basketball and all this all this so then when i said that you're gonna be on they there were some questions about like what did you study Although now I feel like I don't think that it really matters, but I think that when you're young, you feel like this is the only thing that matters, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, and it's actually really funny because I feel that when you're young and you wanna you wanna be successful, you put a lot of pressure on yourself for certain decisions that you know when you get to to the to the moment where it counts, those are really not the things that matter, or not that much, not as much as we think at the beginning. And it was absolutely the case for me. I think that um, I, I studied because, first of all, I'm a little bit of a geek. I really like it. I love reading. I loved my studies. Like I studied um, political science and then I had that was my bachelor. And then I have a master in public management and administration, which sounds really boring. But my um, my, objective, <laughs> my objective when I moved to management and public administration was really to do something that would apply to a lot of different things that, that was general enough to then have the freedom to, you know, um, decide where I wanted to work. And it's funny because when I was studying, I wanted to work in a completely different environment. I wanted to like 
work in the management of prisons and you know like do all kind of different things so sport was not exactly on the radar for me but i think getting closer to the end of my career i was like okay i'm i think i'm really gonna suffer if i don't keep basketball in my life some way somehow and i don't think i'm patient enough to coach <laughs> i don't think um yeah th that's not my thing um so i was really looking into something more in the management side of teams it could have been a club honestly um could have been a, a national federation but i just kind of uh entered the top uh, of the pyramid right away so that was um i'm still to this day i feel very grateful that that was my my path so and so did you start right away into the communications or did you did you enter some different area within the within FIBA and then moved around sort of to find yourself? No, I got directly into communications, um, even though, again, it wasn't really my field of expertise at all. But um, I had the chance of coming in. I guess I was the right person at the right moment. Um, I came in when one person was leaving that was doing um, media activities, media operations, and um, and really covering that area. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't a very structured, functional area at FIBA. It was just like something that somebody picked up and then they were doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, um, and uh, advancing in the communications department, uh, like reassigning roles, etc., it just seemed, um, it just made sense that I picked up that side of things because, um, because of my management, management uh, background. Um, and then also because I really was willing to learn a lot. And the thing about media operations and media services is that there isn't really a, um, like a, a training for that. There isn't a university, you don't go and study media operations. It's really something where you need to go on the field, experience, do as many events as you can to get the gist of things and how, you know, be, be exposed to a lot of different situations um, to know what to expect or to try and, and anticipate as much as possible, which is always difficult. But um, I think I was just the right person there to do that because I was really a sponge like I was really trying to absorb everything and find my place somehow um, and back back then I mean when I started I wasn't I wasn't really it wasn't really the department that we have today so I was doing also a little bit of everything I was doing I remember I was posting on Facebook back then I was managing the Facebook channel um, I was doing all kind of like reporting activity reports corporate stuff Whereas now we really have a specific person doing each little thing. But so, it's crazy how like the communications department actually can like split into social medias now yeah. as well and all that more and more people. Because yeah, back yeah. in Jalkers, Jalkers, I did the same thing. I was I was doing half marketing, half communications, but within communications is like the website, uh, the, the Instagram, then Facebook and all these things. Now it's like, oh my. Exactly. And then I did the YouTube as well, like as a, you know, the person behind the behind the camera too so there's so many things and now it's just like every every little branch has like five people within you know yeah. 
And I think that's actually a, a good thing because it allowed me to see um, how certain things were, um, were working and also see if I actually like doing it. A lot of people don't have the, the opportunity of saying, oh, I'm going to try this and then if I don't like it, move to something else. But um, I kind of, uh, kind of tried to take the take the the best of that and uh, worked out pretty fine. So that's true. That's that's pretty. That's pretty cool. I guess yeah. A lot of things have changed over even the, just the last the last decade, which sounds a decade sounds so much, but <laughs> it's not really. You I mean, that just tells about our age. <laughs> um so okay so another question uh, um one of the girls asked uh, was what are the personal skills that you think that uh matter in the basketball industry in particular um, yeah uh and i think that's actually what i was saying before about you know when you get to um to like an interview when you have to sell yourself let's say and kind of like um you're not going to use your studies, what your what you study is, what your background really is in that sense to sell yourself. People will, would have already checked your CV and know pretty much what your path was. Uh, but the personality, the skills that you have, like what you kind of, you know, um, what comes from you, that's the, the part that, that counts. And I think that especially for for girls young women women it's confidence i feel that um um it's it's very it's it's very underrated like you don't you don't go to school and they teach you uh that there's no class for confidence right that's sad right because yeah. it's it somewhat it should be like it yeah. will help a lot of places in life like there should be a class that helps you develop certain skills in life, confidence being one of them. But yeah. clearly, I think that's a very important point for, for women. And I think, honestly, looking back like uh, at my experience, at the beginning, I did not have the confidence I have today to um, you know, speak up, to, to, to voice my concerns, to, to say certain things, to cr not criticize, but, you know, constructive criticism, like saying if something feels wrong. Uh, and I think that's a very, um, it can be an annoying skill if you end up in the wrong um, environment, but I think it's, in the end, it's always valued. And um, if you come in with the, with the right confidence, it can change a lot of things. And I think that- I think, you know what, we have a lot, a lot of yes men people yes. you know and I feel like it's so important in any organization or any business if if I was a business owner I would not want any all of the people to be yes man like I mean I need opinions I need I need people thinking on the same wavelength and also within events I'm sure like when I've, I've seen you work and well I was your colleague for a little bit. <laughs> it's like it's it's important because you if you it's not that you're criticizing other people it's just like okay can we make this whole thing better together mm -hmm sort of yeah. and yeah. it's not a question of being overconfident like it's uh, uh, that's that's actually the the extreme i think that's um and that's the difficulty when you're young is that you don't really know you're not an expert in anything so it's hard to to show confidence on certain things but especially when you go for example to interviews or when you're at the beginning of your career you're the only person that really know yourself. So you know what you can, you know what your real skills are, you know what your strengths 
are, what what your what your weak points are, where you should you know, and and there is no, um, it, it's not bad to sit, tell people what your weaknesses are, because it actually shows a certain you know humbleness and um, shows that you actually wanna um, get better and advance. So uh, I would say confidence number one, um, and then. You, you you need to have a strong background in in whatever you try to get in i think that a lot of times um i was i mean when you speak basketball it's it's a it's an international language like it doesn't matter where you're from from the moment you understand how a play works from the moment you can speak, talk about okay like you see how that guy sets the screen or oh, it's bad like go under go over defensive stuff like from the moment you can prove that you actually understand what's going on on a basketball court i think in my field it helped me gain some credibility and you know some legitimacy in terms of sharing my opinion um and um and making certain choices that um you know i i think that i i i grew space around me to take certain decisions and it came because um because i showed that i had a certain basketball basketball uh, iq um and that i i was i was i wasn't talking because i was there i was talking because i'm i'm actually passionate and i know what i'm doing and I know what I'm talking about. So, and I think this is valid in, in anything. Like, just absorb whatever there is to absorb. Read, talk to other people. Um, I think in particular in the world of sports, because you are uh, exposed so, to so many people from different places. I mean, it was my case playing with, you know, foreign players from all over the world and people that are from different corners of the world, I think that's very interesting to collect as much knowledge and different opinions and, and feedback that you can, because it's really, it's really enriching and it's something that um, takes you out of your, you know, your own world. Like, and I come from Switzerland, it's very small. So like, you know, if people have all the same opinion and you don't look outside, you'll never know what's out there and that's, you know, you can think certain things in a different way or so, yeah, I think that's, that's very, very important too. So um, now when you said uh, that it gave you legitimacy when you were talking about basketball, did you, and then you said before previously that uh, you were obviously one of the, very few women or maybe one one woman in the beginning to start with when you, when you just started so did it give you like when you started talking basketball did you did they take you seriously right away um because it depends who like i think it's that's actually interesting it depends who certain people are very were very um protective i think in particular in my department the people that brought me in because they saw the potential they were very protective and they knew that i could do certain things so they were patient with me they gave me room to develop and grow but um there was always also always a group of people or at least um yeah a certain a certain you know because there is also like levels um um, and, uh, you know, a, a structure that doesn't allow you to t say like hierarchy. sort of. Yeah, thing. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, 
I think that higher up, it was hard to be taken seriously because you don't have a direct channel of communication with these people. And when you, you know, when you have to, when you're brought to talk to them, you're nervous and you feel that, oh my God, like who are, like, you don't see them as people anymore. They're like some higher, some higher um, entity and you completely forget that you can do certain things. Like I remember this one time, um, I was talking, I, they, they told me, oh, you can come and present this at the Players Commission. And I was, inside, I was super excited and I wanted to take the opportunity. But then, you know, I started Googling the members of the commission and I started overthinking, like, oh my God, these guys have real careers. Like, who am I to go talk to them about how players should respond to this and to that and about all my projects? Like, they're just going to think I'm crazy. And, you know, when you start getting into that bubble of overthinking, you're like, oh my God, like, what? I can't do this. So obviously there were moments like that. And, um, and it's funny because, um, you, you, you lose all your, um, confidence in that case. And you think that my, my biggest, uh, my biggest problem was like, I had like a little bit of an imposter syndrome. I was like, Oh my God, like they're just going to see that I'm not supposed to be here. And really, and truly like when you get to those points, and you put all the effort because I'm I really come prepared when I do this type of stuff. You realize actually people are listening and people are, you know, they are actually taking what I'm saying seriously. And because it's logical stuff, they see it too. Obviously, you always have resistance and you always have people that try to break your ideas. But overall, in general, um, if you if you expose your your ideas in a in a coherent way if you try to you know be logical explain the big picture etc um that's where people get you and then you kind of tell yourself oh no i did have the skills or the legitimacy to do this um but yeah it's not always easy sometimes you have to like you know I go into meetings and i sweat and i'm like oh my god like <laughs> i don't know how this is gonna go but you do it anyways. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's getting like easier and easier within years and experience like with anything. It's just a matter yeah. of time. Yeah, it is a matter of time. You really need to, um, you need to practice. This practice yeah. makes perfect. I feel like that imposter syndrome is, I don't want to say it's only a woman thing, but it's, it's also a lot of women things like, you know, it's a, it's a, I feel that too sometimes and, and mm -hmm. I'm sure like I listen to, to a lot of podcasts and a lot of women who become like successful in the area and like, like you like taken into going into the rooms where like you know men make big decisions and then you feel like oh my god do I belong here but yeah but I think it's, it's crazy it's, how, how we do it to ourselves you know like because yeah, you do belong there like you you, you know, do. you you made you Absolutely. made your you, you you made your up your way up there. So like you do belong there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, but I think it's a combination of a lot of things. You know, like we have way less um, representation in front ahead of us. Like when sometimes I try to think of okay, who can I look up to that is actually an example for me? And I'm thinking, okay, in 10, 20, 30 years from now, from now. I would love to be her or I would love to be in her position. I think that men have way more that um, to look up to and to 
you know, imagine them themselves in that position, in that chair. We have it way less. And, um, and I think that kind of puts you in a position where you, you ask yourself more questions and women in general, no offense to men, but I think that women in general ask themselves way more questions. No, men um, would enter the room and be like, oh, what's up to the senior <laughs> managers, right? And when, women are like, oh, Dude, my how God. is that? Oh. Like, yeah. <laughs> Did you watch the game yesterday? Like, yeah. Exactly. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think women ask themselves way more questions. And then um, this lack of representation is just kind of um, affecting what you can aim at, you know, achieving yourself because it's, it's way harder like it's it's you, you don't like have you ever thought be about being i don't know what like an astronaut if you've never seen a person that looks like you being an astronaut not really so it, and it's the same in positions that are less um glamorous or interesting you know even if it's just a management position or if it's i don't know um an admin position it's the same thing um, and, and especially in positions of power, I think, um, it's very hard to, it's very hard to voice it. But even, even now, I mean, sometimes people ask me like, oh, what would you like, where do you see yourself at FIBA in X years? And depending on who just, it is, I, I was just thinking to ask you this. <laughs> yeah. Depending on who it is, I honestly, I'm not comfortable saying, oh, I want to be a, you know, director of this or secretary general or blah 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 you know like because i don't think we're pushed to do that enough maybe younger generations now i think when i talk to 15 years old now 16 years old girls they're much more like feisty in that sense like oh what do you mean i can be that or i can't do that like there's more it's awesome. of that. i'm i'm, oh, proud, I'm proud to hear that but you know what you laugh uh when i was 21 I was in uni in London and I made the presentation we were we were supposed to do a presentation about our dream um like a job mm -hmm. a position position at work and so mine was this I wrote I am a I want to be a CEO of EuroLeague basketball <laughs> and I did and I did the whole presentation about it but, but like okay it was very well done from our professor like he really encouraged us like look this is you know dream big and and you know what is it and I always like I always secretly jumped to that. So I was like, okay, this is an easy, like an easy thing for me. You know, I'm just like, yeah. okay. <laughs> but see, like more girls should be encouraged to do that. It's a very good exercise. And I think that, um, that it helps you, you know, it helps. But, like, but, but telling you this, then when I entered the workforce as uh, to say, and I started working in sports industry, I, nah, never said it, not never maybe, but like I said, it's, such few times and now barely ever again you know what i mean it's sort of yeah. like okay like <laughs> getting realistic now <laughs> I, I understand why but see at the same time why not you know yeah, yeah. um talking about those big rooms and big meetings and um stressful situations at uh, at, uh, at at those um have you had any like sort of a failures that you could call that you learned from or something that was just an embarrassing situation <laughs> <laughs> something fun <laughs> not um, at the time <laughs> i'm trying to think like complete failure i don't think so like something that completely um ended up in but like you said with your preparation and everything you can't have a complete failure but i think i think i just had like 
barriers and obstacles and big walls for certain things, um, for certain projects in particular or for certain ideas. Um, but it was tough on the moment. Uh, but I think that a lot of, I think the biggest um, almost failures, let's say, that there were, um, it was just not the right moment for certain discussions. And um, I have to say, I'm not a very patient person. Um, I want things to move quick. Uh, I want things to move, period, all the time. Like, I'm not uh, static. I, I don't like that. I don't like stagnation. Um, yeah. I don't like when there is no change in view. In the sense that I think that, for example, at FIBA, in our organization, I know there are a lot of things that can still improve and change, which is why I'm still there. Um, but things are not moving always very fast because there is a political structure, because there are decisions, you know, the decision-making process is, is relatively slow. There are a lot of people involved. So sometimes before you actually get to a result it takes a lot mm -hmm. of time and that's frustrating um but i think that's that that was the biggest problem is that i wasn't patient enough to have certain to wait to have certain conversations um and uh, and kind of choose my moment a little bit better um because i, I knew i was gonna go against the wall but because I'm a little bit stubborn and not patient, I went into the wall anyways. Um, and here too, it's just a situation where you learn. Um, and when you're, when you're passionate about something, it's true that it, you know, it becomes even more important and you can just drop it. You just want to yeah. have that tough discussion. You just want to, you know, um, you just want to bring up that, that topic that's, can potentially annoy people and know it can be gender equality it can be a lot of things but um but yeah i think it, it's never really I, I can't say that i really failed in these discussions i think that mm -hmm. even when they were tough and uh, uh when i felt that right at that moment i was going against the wall there was always after some sort of reaction or some sort of coming back and picking up on certain things that came out of that discussion um, that were positive, actually, that kind of showed me that, okay, so we had that discussion. It didn't go exactly how I expected it to go. It didn't move as fast as I wanted. But out of the 12 points that I shared, two actually stuck. made it through. <laughs> yeah, stuck to their minds and they kind of, you know, um they kind of develop something on it so yeah i mean that's why i'm saying i don't think it's a complete failure it's just uh it's just like getting getting certain messages through um and i guess it's about yeah. your strategy how you talk to people my next question was like where, what are you bad at but i feel like you already answered there's not such things like you have to be bad at but like the patience thing right and then like but i feel like i'm very similar because i when i when you're passionate it's a different it's a different ball game because you're just on it here and then and let's do this right i mean what i'm bad at it's i think that what i said about patience that's definitely something that i'm still working on i'm getting much better um and uh and you know it's it's important because 
it's it's the it's your problem not being patient. It's not other people's problem, you know. And and sometimes you feel like you impose it on other people. Yeah. So working on that. Um, That's a great way to look at it. I need to I need to work on that a bit harder. I think. <laughs> but it's it's not easy, you know. We all have our own expectations, and 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 sometimes I feel that that's what it is as well. Like patience is just like you set these expectations for yourself, and you know you can do certain things, but people are not like you. So if you set the same expectations for other people, you're gonna be disappointed at one point because they're not gonna go as fast as you know. So so yeah. I think it it goes together, and um, and sometimes you just need to chill, <laughs> take a chill pill, relax, and say like, okay, okay, let me just wait a little bit more, and you know, not lose it. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I, honestly, it's it's horrible. Like I need to think so much about what I'm bad at, but but it's a good thing like it's a good it's a it's a sort of a trick question i'm not trying to like pull out all the you know secret bad things that you think you do or anything it's just it's just my like hand uh, really bad it got really bad <laughs> my hand i think we're like we're spoiled now with all the phones and everything i feel like when i take the pen i'm like what how do i use this we were doing some department cleaning the other day and i found some notes from when i just started like 10 years ago 10 something like that and my notes were impeccable, perfect, written so nicely. And then I look at my notes from now and it's like a doctor <sighs> prescription. It's horrible. I, even myself, sometimes I don't understand what I write down. So yeah, definitely handwriting, terrible. <laughs> oh, okay, so Jal, tell me what is most uh, exciting and like rewarding part of your job? Um, I think it's when I see other people happy for my success or for 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 the success of our events i think that i obviously because we do we do so much there is so much going on it's so like the year is so long with so many things happening and it goes so fast sometimes i personally tend to forget quickly um and to kind of move fast from one event to the other without really think about the the impact it has on people. Um, it can be people around me. It can be my family. Like when my family sometimes tells me like, oh, it's amazing. Like it looks so great. Or, you know, it makes you feel so good. Cause you're like, I didn't even stop to look exactly at how this was. And it's very nice to have it coming from your mom, your partner, your friends. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's very, it's very fulfilling for me and at the same time also i think because we have events in so many different places well recently the world cup um in the philippines indonesia japan i think just seeing locals um sharing with them spending time with with people um you know seeing happy kids watching basketball the excitement like i just it was it was very very emotional um i think in particular i mean i spent a lot of time this summer in the philippines i was there for a month and a half and the passion for basketball the the way they welcomed welcomed us um you know the the everything about it was just a magnificent experience and it it made me feel really 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 um grateful and um it gave Appreciate purpose it. 
kind of you know sometimes you lose purpose a little bit you're like oh you complain about i need to go to the office again you know i've been there for the entire week i stayed there until 10 p.m last night blah 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 but honestly that the the time in the philippines was really good to kind of give me that purpose again and you know you see these kids playing with a ball it's raining they're barefoot they don't care they're happy and then you know you give them a few tickets to come to the games and it's just it made their month year i don't know but it's just like it, it was really i think that's that's the part i love the most that is that's amazing tell me more about the world cup how was it uh, i feel like okay so sorry just going back a little bit to what you said mm -hmm. it's like um because you're i feel like when i was with you at Eurobasket, it's like oh wait i have a meeting i'll come after the meeting because you have a meeting about another event already so i feel like yes it's hard it must be hard for you to be right there and then because there's first of all so much going on but also so much going on for the next the next thing so it's yeah it's crazy i could just imagine like your 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 schedule your your your, your um, project planning and everything must be must be like insane yeah i think you're right about being in the moment that's actually what what's missing sometimes you know i, I mean random example but at the world cup now in the philippines we already we are already talking and having meetings at the same time during the final phase about qatar in 2027 so you're like, you know, okay, like let's. That's like mind blown right there, you know. <laughs> yeah, so like, that's like years away. <laughs> yeah, so you know, and in between, I mean, obviously, this is just between men's World Cup and women's World Cup, but there is, we had a press conference for the women's World Cup in 2026 at the same time. So, I mean, the basketball never stops uh, syndrome. We have it, like it's there and and you love it i mean if you if you love what you're doing you, you have to love it like, oh yeah otherwise you probably go, yeah. go crazy otherwise you just you know you go and you do something where you know that you can go at home at five and then your phone is not gonna ring <laughs> you're gonna be okay but um this is not uh this is not that <laughs> yeah so tell me about what what are the highlights of um of the world cup what are the what the, what are uh, the calm stories <laughs> So many, so many. We had um, we had really, really an amazing event. I have to say, I was. Uh, um, it's horrible to say it like that, but I always say that I was a little bit traumatized after China 2019 uh, because it was a very, very difficult event um, to to organize to deliver. Um, I have to say, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, it was it was really, really difficult. And then after uh, what, that, what, why was that? Because it was, um, it, it, I feel like, well, China was a very difficult environment to work in. Um, first of all, because of the language barrier, um, it was really difficult to get, not just, not just talking to people, but relate to people, um, kind of, you know, have that connection that you need to work together every day. So it was very tough and also in terms of you know we had a world cup in eight different venues in eight different chinese cities which logistically just made it a nightmare um mm -hmm. we did it but uh this world cup with half the amount of venues clearly helped us deliver a product that was much more high standard um so yeah 
China was difficult. So as I said, a little bit traumatizing of an event. So I was very aware and um, um, focused on preparing and anticipating every possible problem aspect that could go wrong um, and uh, worried, honestly. I was just worried that, you know, things could go just wrong, um, that I wasn't going to that we were not going to deliver something that was up to the level for an event in 2023. So there was a lot of worrying in the months before. I mean, I, I went back and forth to the Philippines, Japan, Indonesia, pretty much the entire year. Um, but I think that when the event started, even the days before, I kind of started um, getting that this was going to be something different, bigger, um, you know, uh, just like more united i think the three countries did a wonderful job making people feel at home um giving them a, a real experience you know like from not just coming to a basketball game sit down and then go home but really just make them part of something um so that was clearly a, a big lesson and it put me back in a in the right mood right to 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 deliver an event like this and then there were so many little things and big things. I mean, first of all, on the court, I think in particular for the final phase, the games were just amazing. It was extremely entertaining. It was like nuts. Um, and uh, and that that's always great. I mean, when you're just like by the court and you get to witness this great basketball, I mean, there's nothing better for me. Um, and... Uh, and then, yeah, as I said before, the passion of people. I mean, the first, the opening game of the Philippines with uh, with the full venue, the Philippine Arena, that was something I never, ever witnessed in my life. I mean, I've seen full arenas, but that was something else. Um, that was incredible. And, uh, and that was just, like, kind of mind-blowing. So, yeah, stuff like this. Um, working with my colleagues, too, I think we had a very good team um we had we we kind of held each other's hands <laughs> you know to go through through it together and it was and it was nice i think everybody really uh showed up and uh and and tried to do their best so and it's it, it's difficult when you have you know our staff um for the world cup was huge this time so we're talking about uh, we did a staff workshop in may with 150 people and that was just the core um you know we didn't really have all the freelancers and everyone it was just like the core so you can imagine i mean when you have to coordinate all those people um for one goal um it's tough but yeah i think it went really really well we did it. We did it. And what did you did you stay in one one event, uh, one uh, arena, or did you like during the event, or did you? Play? I was based in the um, in the Philippines because I was also overviewing what was happening in Indonesia and Japan, um, mm -hmm. and then how we operate um, in the host countries. That in the Philippines we had a command center for the group phase, so a big control room with plenty of screens and. Uh, where all the um, lead for all the functional areas are so that we can control and kind of move depending on the potential problems we have or things to solve. Um, so I was moving between the command center and one of the venues because I do like to be on the field. I don't like to be in the, 
you know, control center the entire time. But yeah, I was moving between those two and uh, I stayed in the Philippines because I already, I mean, I did all the setup of the other countries before the event. So, yeah. It sounds insane. It sounds insane. <laughs> like the whole, <laughs> oh, I just set up the World Cup in other countries and then I came and I was there. Yeah. How does, I've never been in a situation where the, the whole center, like how did you call that center? Uh, the command center. The command, yeah. How does it, how does that, how does it look? How does it all work there? So it works like we, we used to laugh because the setup is a little bit like, you know, in, in movies when like, uh, um, when they show like how uh, how NASA works with all the screens and they're all like they're in this big hall and they're all facing the same screens in front right and like yeah. you have the, it's a little bit of like a light version of that <laughs> so we feel very important everybody has a little headset and like you know a screen all kind of screens in front but instead of watching a rocket um we actually have all the basketball games going on at the same time on the different screens. And, uh, you know, the, the standings, um, a lot of stuff happening there in terms of discussions and um, anticipation. You know, we do the permutations in there, which is a very intense uh, job from the competitions department. So trying to anticipate what will happen, how much a team needs to win um, the next game, um to go to the next round because obviously we get a lot of questions but um we're not all habilitated to give the answer and you know it's very easy to make mistakes so that's really the central core place where all these things are um are discussed and where the official voice of the competition will say what's going on if there is a problem if there is a statement to release anything it would come from from there. And so if, let's say, did anything go not wrong, but did, were there any mishaps during the, like that maybe the eye of the spectator didn't notice, but for you it caused stress, let's say? Um, not major things. Uh, it was, we were actually fortunate enough to have a smooth event, but obviously there are things that are um, a little bit out of our control um, that happened. I mean, in Japan, there was a typhoon coming, so we had to send an alert. People were worried. Um, so that clearly created some some problems and some discussions on even like, how will the competition be affected? If there is really a typhoon, will the teams be able to come for the final phase? So that was, you know, that, that that's very, um, like, random stuff that can help that can happen that is completely out of our control but because we do have a crisis plan and people that are just working on those aspects we kind of knew how to react right away um then yeah there were some negatives i think that there there were very moments of, that were very high in terms of attendance for example at the competition but then also uh moments where we didn't have despite the passion of Filipinos for basketball, we didn't really have that much people in the venues. But you can also understand that an event that lasts almost a month, um, you know, with uh, games even in the afternoon while people work, um, the, um, the price of the tickets were, was quite high for certain games, 
as for the local population i mean um so obviously things that you know that we learn from and that are going to be adjusted for the next events because what what you want at these events ultimately is full venues all the time full stop like that that's the that's the objective but yeah other than other than these things that we are obviously aware of because then we do i mean we just finished an entire month of debriefs on every possible aspect um you know it's it also means that we know what the recommendations would be for the next one yeah um and uh yeah we go from there that's that's pretty exciting that's a big 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 job you did a great one i remember watching your stories after the lithuania bqs and i was like I wish with every part of my body, I was just there right now. Oh my God. Was, and you're like, yeah, this is sick. I'm like, ah, this is history for us, you know? I know. And there were so many. And, and I think that's actually about about my job. I, I, I said that it's, it's always very fulfilling to see the happiness of people around me and of, um, you know, the fans, etc. But it's also the teams. Like, it's also the players. Having been a player myself, um, obviously never on that world stage that must be absolutely amazing but um, you can kind of understand what these guys are going through in terms of emotion you know on the court when the game finishes etc and I think it's a it's a it that's actually a skill um, that you need to have especially in the job we're doing because Sometimes I know that we ask a lot to the players, you know, we're a little bit annoying in terms of how can you give an interview to this person, to that person. And you need to, the entire game is about keeping a balance between respecting um, the privacy, the emotions, the moment that the player is living in that precise moment, but also making sure that we cover it correctly, that we give the chance to as many people possible and, you know, um and that we kind of give them access to the player because that's what people want so yeah. so yeah it's 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 a it's a tricky it's a tricky game uh but we're right in the middle and um and i think that when you see the when you see the happiness of the players on on their face it's it's always also very very uh fulfilling I bet, I bet. Um, I remember coming back from uh, Eurobasket and the one thing I told my husband, I was like, I felt so connected to the people I worked with. Like, I felt like it's such a, and I don't know what the, well, it's also, it's so random. You just talked about the most players' emotions. So that's what I was, I was like continuing from. Um, I felt like so connected to the people working there. And I said, I've never met them before, but like we'd go to dinners after we'd go there. We spent obviously all day, like the morning to night together. And then I feel like, Oh my, I miss these people. I was like, I miss the energy we had. I miss like all, all that stuff, you know? But at the same time, I, I was wondering like how, what connected us? Obviously the main purpose of like making the event as best as, 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 possible but at the same time i think that having that passion for the game and having those emotions around you it's sort of like it's so easy then to become one one group and like connect as like as people on the court side you know uh, at the same time like it's just a one big one big thing yeah and i think it's the it's the it's the power of sports you know like uh 
uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think we would feel the same way if we went to a convention about selling, I don't know. Yeah. You know. Tiles. Exactly. Like, <laughs> honestly, you can be very passionate about selling a lot of things or, you know, doing a lot of things in life. But I think in particular, because of how sports work in today's society, like how big of a role in terms of expressing your emotions and, you know, the role of athletes today, it's, is so much more than just being on a court. It's uh, it's it, they represent something. They 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 bring ideas. They they you know they kind of give an image to certain people that don't have one. People want to be like them. People want to listen to what they have to say. So it, it's a part of of the world that has a huge impact today. And I think that's because we give a platform to that. Um, we feel that we do have a certain responsibility almost to deliver it in the right way. So I think that's that's actually very important and it makes people that work at events connected because you know you have one objective is to deliver this correctly. So so it kind of makes you feel like, okay, it's it's very hard to measure who did what individually, right? It's It's really a team effort. Um, so I think it makes people feel included a little bit more. There are jobs where obviously, you know, that you've wrote a, a book and it's, you know, signed by you, all the success goes to you. That's like, you're the main mind behind it, even if you had other people around you. But in our case, it's very hard to, to, to give props just to one person and tell them, oh, it's thanks to you that this event was delivered. No, it, it's thanks to, to, to the top management, to the middle management, to the people that were on site, to the volunteers. You know, we have all our events, we have a huge number of volunteers that, you know, they're not paid. They're there because they actually love what they're doing and they want to be part of it, even if, you know, it means sacrificing maybe their real job their studies their time um yeah. so so obviously you can feel that there is an additional motivation there it's not just money or you know it's really be part of something bigger and i think that's the that's the real difference there well that's yeah i totally agree with that um and i'm happy that i was a part of that as well so what is the next event for you you have uh, what are you working on now apart from Qatar? <laughs> so um, next year we have next year is the Olympic year. So for us, it's always a little bit different because um, the Olympics is obviously not our event. It's a multi-sport event. We're just a little part of it. A very important part, though, because I mean, in terms of team sports, we are very um, we're a very crucial um, sure. sport discipline. We have. I would, say the, I would say the main, but who am I? <laughs> I'm not gonna say it either. <laughs> but uh, no, we have basketball. We also have three x three basketball at the Olympics. So um, that is so cool. Yeah. So it's it's we're we're we've started working full speed on preparation of the qualifiers first, the qualifying tournaments. Mm -hmm. So we have the women's qualifying tournaments. Um, it's uh, four tournaments of four teams taking place in February. Um, and then we have also the men's uh, qualifying tournaments that are a little bit later um, for calendar reasons. They're 
end of June, if I'm not mistaken, beginning of July. So very late, right before the games. Um, but uh, yeah, those and those are four tournaments of 16. So it's pretty heavy uh, in terms of preparation. Mm -hmm. um, and they're usually spread out across the planet. So it's uh, for us, it's kind of like, you know, doesn't make it easier. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but it's, it's very exciting tournaments. Obviously, there's a lot of at stake. Um, and uh, we do usually get to see the biggest stars because everybody wants to make it to the Olympics. You know, it's that opportunity, that last opportunity to get a ticket. Um, so yeah, very exciting times. Um, and then obviously the Olympics in uh, in end of July. Um, as I said, we're we're a little bit less implicated because not all departments are working at the Olympics, but us in particular for comms and media ops, we are heavily involved. So we'll be in Paris um, the entire time. That is that is really cool. You mm -hmm. you mentioned uh, big stars. So have you? Um, how is it to deal uh, dealing with them? Are they? <laughs> um it's uh it's it's quite something you know <laughs> no i have to say i do <laughs> in some in in most cases uh we deal with very um respectful and nice people that understand um that understand the the implications of what they're doing and that it's not just playing on the court but it's also everything that is around it and i think that we work also with more and more professionalized teams um, that actually have someone that is dedicated to helping the players understanding um, the, the the amount of things that go around basketball and mm -hmm. that actually allow us to have these events because if we don't have coverage there's no money to do these events like it's you know broadcasting is one of the biggest uh, source of income so um players uh, need to be educated to understand this it's not always the case but i think that um that that's that's definitely key and then obviously you have personalities you know personalities you can't really change uh some some personalities that we love on the court are much harder to handle outside the court um, but it's part of the game we know that that's also why people love them and why people have opinions and talk about it. Uh, if everybody was just a, uh, you know, good schoolboy or good schoolgirl, uh, we wouldn't like it um, as much as we do. When there is something juicy happening. So, yeah, it's part of the game, and uh, we have some cases where sometimes cooperation is difficult, but we deal with that. And yeah. Yeah, I guess that is a part of it. So, um, since uh, you're pregnant now, how yeah. is Paris looking for you? How's how's uh, are you plan? How are you planning around it? That's like a big change in uh, in life, a big change in career. I I I think I don't I don't know how you like planning to adjust that whole. Yeah, um, it is a big change. Um, I am looking forward to it, and honestly, I, I think we're ju we'll just go with the flow. I mean. Um, I should be back to work um, maybe one month or one month and a half before the Olympics actually happen. Um, and then it's, it's going to be a question of, you know, um, 
organizing the two things and kind of make them match. Mm-hmm. I've already, uh, I think I have a very good support group around me between uh, between my my boyfriend and uh, and my mom and you know his family too that uh, can definitely make sure that this happens that I can be at the games and then uh, we can have our baby with us and and make things work. Um, so we'll see. Honestly, for now, it's just like uh, it's just like imagining how it could be and try to see what our options are. But it's clearly. It's clearly an objective to still be at the Olympics, even with a baby. And I think that it's also, you know, we'll be in 2024. It's, there is no, um, nobody can tell me that there is no way to actually um, juggle between the two things or make it work um, or find a way to make it work. Because um, I think that the, the sacrifice for me would be to completely not to do the Olympics. Uh, but obviously, the sacrifice as a new mom will be to leave my baby uh, without me for that yeah. long. So in any case, in any case, whatever I do, I'm, I'm a loser, right? So I'm just trying to find a, a solution where, and there is a solution, a solution to do the two things. I don't believe in people that tell me, oh, but you have to choose. No, you don't. You can choose something different. You can choose your own way. Um, and think outside the box and 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 try to get out of how people did it in the past because it's not necessarily the only way. So we'll see. I'm I'm very I'm very uh, resourceful. So <laughs> we'll I'm see. very happy. First of all, I'm happy for you and uh, the baby coming and then that you, you have a sports system, which I think that yeah, it's amazing as. Sometimes with given our lifestyle, it's a bit it's a bit tough uh, for me. So I know how much that uh, that actually means. And I love your attitude. That's like one of the most important things. I, I love your attitude about this whole the whole situation. Because like of like you said, if I want to, you know, I don't want to lose on that or on that. Mm-hmm. So I think so it's that's a, you'll it's win in both. Lesson. You know, it's a lesson even for even for my future child. I mean to. To know that um, that his mom or her mom just w- was able to to do that, uh, you know that's you know yeah look like when you were little, mom did this like she was part of this. To me, it's important. I oh, want my important. child to be proud of me and to say you know, uh, mom mom was in this or like my mom this. It's it's just like something uh, something that to me it's really uh, crucial. Yeah, absolutely. It's your legacy and the way your child will see you and look up to you. That's amazing. You know, t- talking about that, I took my one and a half year old at that time to Istanbul from, we lived in South of France. I took him to my basket news. Um, I worked for basket news back then. So <laughs> I took him with me to the trip and it's like, it's it's funny. It's funny. I was like the guys, you know, cause I work with guys mostly. Yeah. So they come with one little luggage, like weekender bag, you know, for a few days in Istanbul <laughs> and me. I'm coming with a huge suitcase, with a pram, with a backpack, with a child. <laughs> like I have arrived on the work trip, but you know, like there was, there was no other thing that I had to do. And like you said, like, first of all, I was, I had to hire a nanny there, which mm-hmm. I knew, I knew because my, I have a lot of friends in Istanbul from, you know, yeah. living there. So like it, 
it kind of helped because obviously I knew the person who was like taking care of my child as I was doing the interviews. But yeah, uh, but at the same time, I was very happy that he could that he could just be with me in the city and experience something new. You know, like it was still it was nice. And all, it's a story to tell because like, you know, yeah, it's 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 what we have to do, I guess, as women, we have to juggle. Yeah, and you also, I feel like there are a lot of opinions. You know, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm actually experiencing experiencing it right now. Like everybody has their own opinion about, oh, you should do this. You see, when the baby comes, it will be like this. And then for me, it was like that, which is great. It's great to hear other people's opinions. I love it. I think it's important to you know listen and and collect all the here too all the knowledge you can, but. At the end of the day, you make your own decision and you leave your own experience. And it will be, for sure, completely different from other people's. So even listening to people now or worst case, like people that tell me, oh, you won't be able to do that with a baby. That just motivates me even more to try and do it. Like, I bet. You to tell me that I cannot do it. Are you me? Are you are you living the same life? Are you experiencing like no? You don't have the same people around you. You don't know. These are the same people who say that. Who already before like I I I found that you know you go to when you're pregnant you go to these like uh, groups where you learn about the birth okay. la la all these things and I or meet other pregnant women yeah and then I just could tell right away what kind of perception of motherhood they're like they have they're like oh i have to do this now because after i i won't be able to i'm like yeah what like and that's that's sort of the mentality you know like they go into it and i'm like if if you already think that now like baby's still in your belly you already think that now but if you haven't even met the, the guy or the girl you know so like how can you how can you already have that feeling about about it, the whole situation in your life what it's gonna be and what it's gonna look like yeah yeah it's it's a funny it's a very um obviously it's a very educational it's a very uh it's a big discovery all this pregnancy and especially i think not even just uh, in terms of discovering a new side of myself but also discovering a new side in other people um like close people or just people that i know but like the reactions the things they share the you know it's just like it shows different facets of a lot of people like there is a little bit of a competition aspect as well which i find very um very weird i was discussing it with my boyfriend yesterday it's like some people i feel like they're trying to take this as a competition and it's in like oh we, we got this for the baby we got that for the baby we got i'm like cool but like oh why did you why, why didn't you do that that i'm like because we're us and we're gonna do it this way it's not like it's not written anywhere there's no manual so you know no no and you know what and that's i love that attitude really i think that's the best way to go about it it's it's you know it's it's you're writing your chapter like that's a whole new new chapter for you for both of you and for the three of you (laughs) eventually and so i think that it's only you who can tell and and figure it out what what the baby needs and all those things like oh boy it's like it's funny because like for me when I, before i had the um, the kids i thought oh i really want the baby room you know like when you see in like the perfect house the perfect picture we still don't even have a house like i have a, <laughs> two children now we don't have a house like we move like we're 
basically homeless. Like, you know what I mean? We live, <laughs> we live like in a, uh, obviously in a, a house that provided it's provided yeah. by the team, and then and then uh, off um, off seasons we either in Lithuania or we're in Australia, so we move mm-hmm. and we rent. And then, like I never had a baby room, and I have two kids. So there's some and and then what that made me realize that they don't need that room. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't need th- they don't need those things. They don't need that room. Like they all they need is like is the parents there. And as long as the parents are happy, it's like the baby's happy. And as long as the parents are chill and don't stress about stupid little things, that's all. That's all literally all all the secret to happiness in my in my books. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're totally right. I don't know yet, but I think you're totally right because I see uh I I see certain things and I think that even like on social I'm watching all these videos like now my timeline is just like covered in, you know, pregnant women, baby rooms, decoration, all kind of stuff, gadgets. And it's so overwhelming sometimes. They're like, well, do I really need this cuz like, it feels just very useless. I can do that with my hands or like I don't know. And and baby room is one. I mean, I am in the baby room right now. It's my office, so that's gonna be it. Fifty-fifty. That's awesome. And we're gonna have to share, and you know, that's 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 what it is. And look, until the baby is like five, or I mean, yeah, okay, maybe I mean, three, four, they, they don't need. There is this big romantic idea of how it should be, yeah. and then there is the reality of you know how will you actually go through life with your baby, um, and. Yeah, I'm very, very curious. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be great. How long is maternity leave? Is there maternity leave and how long is it in Swiss? In Swiss? I mean, obviously you're not um, probably taking it or, or, or all of it. But um, is we it, are is not there... the most advanced country when it comes to this stuff, unfortunately. We're advanced in a lot of other things, but when it comes to maternity leave, the structure of the family and that sort of stuff, it's very much... Uh, done in a way that doesn't um, encourage women to have kids and um, kind of stay at home for a little bit. We have 14 weeks, which is really a minimum uh, when you have a job. And yeah. um, and that's, that's pretty much it. Um, and then, well, you're paid depending on your job. So your employer can decide that they pay you 100%. Some don't pay at all. And then you get like a state indemnity. Um, so it's a little bit of a not very clear. Interesting. It's kind of like a, you have to understand it, what, understand it why, why, while you get into it. I have to say it was a completely new thing for me. I never checked before. Um, so it's kind of a... Yeah, it's... Um, it's a little, I was pretty shocked in terms of our country and, you know, how we say that we're so advanced, but then but for truly. It's, it's very basic and, you know, paternity leave is two weeks, which is like something that they increased a little bit, like 10 days, basically. Uh, but like if you stay in the hospital for four let's say three four i don't know how but like then you're back at home and then that's it while i have to work you're very much left with you know your your own situation and what your job is and how flexible they are and so on so um so yeah it's um it's uh it's quite something but yeah well you got it girl I won't hold you here for any longer. 
drinking decaf since uh, it's been a while and you know oh girl that's one thing i never gave up i i'm guilty as charged do not offer me decaf at no points in my life <laughs> i found a very good one so i'm not mad it tastes oh, exactly great. the same so um that's really one of the only ones that i'm sticking to having my coffee in the morning but uh yeah other than that <laughs> gave up all a bunch of bad habits well there's also a good 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 side of the you know, mm -hmm. yeah that. that's awesome that's awesome. Thank you very much. Um, I'm sure that, I mean, I love talking to you and uh, I'm sure that uh, people will find, especially young people will find this uh, educational and interesting and, <laughs> you know, you. inspirational well, more above all. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Uh, it's been a while. So yeah, happy to, to chat with you. Yeah, we also got uh, uh, Vasiliki said uh, hi and uh, that she's uh, ah. excited to listen to this whole thing. So it's nice when I, I ask uh, for questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's awesome. Okay, and uh, yeah, so I wanted to thank everyone who asked the questions. I hope we answered them. Um, as you can see, Jal is, is a pretty impressive woman and uh, yeah, pretty crazy things that she's doing and uh, like... Paris Olympics will be will be watching you, <laughs> uh, and yeah, thank you for, for thank you for watching and uh, bye.